0: Isaiah chapter 9, verses 1 through 7. This is our second sermon in our series in Isaiah. We wanted to get here uh, before Christmas, so we kind of rushed through the first uh, eight chapters. We looked at chapter 6 last week, and and so today we're going to center on Isaiah 9, which is a great Christmas passage. So Isaiah, Isaiah 9, beginning in verse 1. But there will be no gloom for her who is in anguish in the former time, And on the throne of David and over his kingdom to establish it and to uphold it with justice and with righteousness from this time forth. And forevermore, the zeal of the Lord of hosts will do this. Father, we thank you for this great announcement of what to expect of our great Savior. Father, I pray that the words, Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace, Father, make those things real in our hearts today. Lord, give us the full delight of enjoyment over who you are on our behalf. And I pray that this week we would find that on our lips all week long, would be the praise of our great King. Father, we are not disappointed in you. We are not in any way disappointed in Jesus. Father, show us your glory. In Christ's name, amen. In the Gospels, what you find in uh, Luke chapter 2, which is probably the most famous Christmas passage, is what we might call the birth announcement of jesus okay now now you guys know what a birth announcement is right it's when you you have the baby and so you send out the announcement uh, telling, you know, usually a picture, um, usually the vital statistics, the weight, the the inches, all that sort of stuff. they What they used to do, I guess I'm thinking about when my kids were babies, is you you went to the hospital, you had the baby, and they took a picture at the hospital. You remember that? I don't think they even do that anymore, do they? Anyway, they, they used to do that. They t- took a picture at the hospital, and most generally, it was a horrible picture, okay? Uh, like cone-headed, you know, uh, crying, uh, all just, just, it was terrible, you know, and, and and, and, and you know many people were disappointed with that but it actually served a great purpose right because they they took that terrible picture you know and then you, you put it in the in the card you know with the vitals and you send it out to your relatives far away and then when you saw them in person they're relieved okay you know you know you know what i'm saying like christmas time comes and you go with your new baby and they're like oh thank goodness you know uh, i was really afraid when i got the picture you know but man she's beautiful you know he's beautiful right but now i, I really think they have it backwards young families now because now you go out and you spend a bunch of money with a professional photographer you know shortly after the birth of so the birth the doesn't come right away you know and it's staging lighting and I, yeah i mean you, you get like the the best picture ever you know and then christmas comes and you know by that time the kid's got a little baby acne and his hair's half falling out and they're like Oh, okay. Well, we got the picture. It was great, you know. But anyway, that's the birth announcement, right? And so, what you find in Luke chapter two is is really the Father, God the Father, announcing the birth of His Son. And so, here's 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 what we have. And in the re, in the same region, this is Luke two. He goes on to tell them where they'll find the baby. And so so it's the announcement of the birth of Jesus, right? It's come, it's happened, and now the angels announce his birth. Okay, but what you have in Isaiah 9 is really the we're expecting announcement, all right? Now, now these were when we were having our kids I, I don't know anybody that did this maybe they did I think social media has brought this about okay but but now you, you see this is pretty common as well right you, you, you see especially on Facebook or whatever Twitter you, you find the we're expecting now you know all kinds of creative ways you know you, you have the the mom and dad shoes and then the little baby shoes and you know you have the the little making the heart on the tummy you know the can of prego I'm trying to think of the ones I've seen you know all, all kinds of you know you got to find these creative ways to tell everybody hey coming up here in a few months here's what you ought to expect okay isaiah 9 is is god's hey heads up here's what you ought to expect here's what is coming for you here's what is coming for mankind here's what we are expecting now God's, we are expecting, is a little different. For one thing, it comes 700 years prior to the birth of Jesus. Man, I'm telling you, if you're here today and you're just checking things out, maybe maybe you came with family and and you're just not sold out on this whole Christianity, could I just point you to the fact that Isaiah was written, and nobody disputes this, nobody with any credibility disputes this, that Isaiah, the book of Isaiah was written over 700 years before the coming of Jesus Christ. And in it, not only in Isaiah 9, but also in Isaiah 7, you have the the virgin birth, the, the proclamation that Jesus would be born. Of a virgin, and then Isaiah nine, you have who he is, and then in in in, in Isaiah fifty three, you have the cross. I mean, you have you have the the prediction, the prophecy of Jesus Christ. Hundreds. Let me put that in perspective: seven hundred years for you. Our nation is two hundred and thirty nine years old. Two hundred and thirty nine years. There's there's been Europeans on this continent for only five hundred and twenty three years, and yet God is announcing, "Here's what you ought to expect from who I'm." sending the messiah 700 years prior to jesus being born that's what you have here is you, you have god announcing what to expect that god himself is going to be born okay god is basically saying i i want you to expect the unexpected and even after isaiah 9 was written nobody could fully get their heads around this until it happened how can, how can a child be born who is going to be mighty God? <laughs> how, how can mighty God be born? How, how can that happen? How can a son be given that's the Father everlasting, or the everlasting Father? And you and I, have the fortune of being on the other side of this and being able to, to realize, man, God put on human flesh. God came as a baby. God came as a son in order to bring light to the world, to taste death on our behalf, to, to be our high priest, to be our champion. And, and so what we have in, in Isaiah 9 is, is the what to expect announcement to the world. And many times in both a birth announcement and sometimes in your what to expect announcement, you have a name. And so so we're given here in Isaiah 9 the name of the one who is expected, okay? Now, now you don't have the name Jesus here. You have basically his attributes, okay? In the Bible, your name was who you were, your reputation, all right? Now, I want you to notice this This is an important point here, okay? It says, for to us a child is born, to us a son is given, and the government will be upon his shoulders, and his name shall be called, okay? Shall be. And, and, and what, what I mean by that is he, he will be called this, all right? Okay, so, so because it's not a personal name, it's his reputation, what God is essentially saying here is he will be worshipped. People for thousands of years will call his name this. They will call him this. They will know this about him. They will love this about him. They will adore this about him. They will delight in these characteristics. They will call his name these things. And really, hopefully this Christmas you're going to fulfill that. You're, you're, you're going you're gonna to be on the other side of Isaiah 9 saying, Indeed, I am one of the people that will call him Wonderful Counselor, that will call him Everlasting Father, that will call him the Prince of Peace. I'm, I'm one of those people that recognizes and embraces that this is who Jesus is, and I will lift up my voice and call him these. These names. Notice he's given to us. Verse 6, to us a child is born, to us a son is born is given, okay? Two times, to us, a child is born. To us, a son is given. You see, Jesus, God tells us here, what you ought to expect is that this one will be for you. He he will be God's gift to you. Everything you need. Everything you didn't realize you needed. He's the greatest treasure. Here at Lincoln Avenue, We, we make much of Jesus being better than anything. If you've been here very long, you've heard that from us. You, you've heard us go through Matthew 19, Matthew 13 over and over again, that Jesus is the treasure hidden in the field that a man stumbles upon. And in his joy of seeing what he's got, he goes back and he sells everything. He, he liquidates everything he's got. Every, everything else doesn't really mean anything to him anymore because of the value of that treasure. Okay. Well, what Isaiah 9 is telling you is here's what to expect. This, this child is going to be for you. He's for you, and really the thrust of today's message, and we're going to kind of wrap it up at the end, is how, how do you receive that gift? So, so in your heart, when 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 I when you open up to Isaiah nine, you see what God has for you. What is your response to that? One of the big things about christmas is training your kids to respond rightly to gifts they're given isn't that kind of a hard thing you know because you you want them to to respond rightly to when people have given them a gift you want them to see the 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 glory i guess you will of the giver the person who cares for them enough to buy them something and so you you do some training right uh sometimes that that doesn't out uh go as well as we would like it to go Um, It didn't even with me when I was a kid. One of my my most terrifying stories, I think I probably told it to you before. It's really a scary thing. I know know after I tell it, you're going to think that's scary, but it was scary. Uh, I was probably about eight or nine years old, and uh, and there was a knock at our door around Christmas time, and it was my Sunday school teacher. And my Sunday school teacher came in, and uh, she had a gift for me, a small gift for me. And she sat down, and my in my living room with my parents and we were there and she gave me the gift and I was sitting on the floor and my parents were in the in their chairs and the Sunday school teacher was in the chair or on the couch, I don't remember which. And and I simply took the gift. And I was sitting on the floor and the Christmas tree was across the room and I took the gift and, and I frisbeed it across the carpet, you know, under the tree, you know. And, and I remember doing that and I remember looking at my dad and I remember the way that my dad looked at me. And then I, the rest of the time, I just had this trepidation, you know, and realizing that this lady would leave at some point, and it was not going to be good for me, you know. And I remember just thinking, yeah, you know, I remember that misery of just being there, you know, thinking, when's she going to leave? And I hope she stays longer, and maybe Dad will, you know, maybe he'll laugh, maybe something will happen that will change, you know, what's going to happen. But, but I knew this was not going to be a good deal, you know. How do you, how, how do you respond and, and I, just as we walk through what you've been given, what to expect in Jesus, would you just consider what what is the Father seeing you? You know, as as we enter the Christmas season and as as the gift that you've been given is laid out before you, what's He seeing you? How do you treat the gift that you've been given in Jesus Christ? So, what have you been given? Let's skip down to verse 6. We'll back up. We'll we'll catch the other five here in a minute. But let's come down to verse 6. To us, a child is born. To us, a son is given. And the government shall be upon his shoulder. And his name, who he is, okay, he shall be called Wonderful Counselor. What have you been given in Jesus? You've been given a Wonderful Counselor. You know, the world is full of problems, right? We, we, I think, would agree on that, I bet. Uh, conflict problems, economic problems, government problems, refugee problems, marital problems, parenting problems, mental health problems, problems with sadness, with guilt, with emptiness, with loneliness, anger problems, friendship problems, lots of problems, and lots of bad counselors, okay? Lots of people who are, who are directing you and counseling you and, and pointing you in an absolutely wrong direction. This very week, this this very week, you know, I, I got to be a first-hand witness of the horrific counseling that happens every day in Woodward, Oklahoma. Okay, there's there's a person who who I, I know there's not a chart for this, but if there were a chart for this I would classify them in the top five unhappy people that I know and I know a lot of unhappy people Okay, but this person makes the chart. I mean just a pretty miserable person in general I've Tried to help them many times, but I mean just a pretty miserable person and I was firsthand right there I got to see it another person come up and tell this one Hey Hey, and this is a synopsis of what they said. Hey, don't worry about what's right. Don't worry about what you think other, you know, uh, the, the standard of the Bible wants you to do. Don't worry about any of that. Just do what makes you happy. I'm just sitting there dying, you know. I mean, First of all, because if the person knew what made them happy, they wouldn't be in the top five unhappy people that I know, okay? First of all, I mean, it's really a dumb statement. You know, if it were just that easy, we'll just do what makes you happy. Man, there's a world full of people that are trying to do that and are miserable. All right? But there's a lot of bad counsel. But but here's what you've been given in Jesus. You've been given the source of wisdom, the source of direction, okay? The, the one who points you to the truth in, in your life situation. He is a counselor full of wonder. His life, Okay, Jesus came in human flesh and then just lived it out. You know, not, not only do you have in Jesus someone who's pointing you to the truth, you have someone who lived it out. You know, you don't have someone just saying, hey, you know, happiness is going to come by forgiveness and getting the bitterness off your chest and and, and, and chucking the the, the burden of, of revenge, okay? You don't have someone just telling you that. You've got someone who's on the cross, okay, as they're brutally crucifying him, saying, Father, forgive them. They do not know what they do. I mean, you have you have it incarnate. You've got it lived out in a man, all right? relationship problems, life problems, uh, depression, all of that lived out in Jesus life. Giving us wonderful counselor. You have the one who is who is mighty God. The word mighty means hero or champion. You have you have almighty God. Born as a child. Just notice. I mean, how how scrambled must the people have been who read this before Jesus came, right? I mean, if you're trying to figure out verse six, to us a child is born, to us a son is given, the government upon him on his shoulders, his name will be wonderful. Counsel. Mighty God. I mean, how is that possible? And we we get to know it and see it in the person of Jesus Christ. That that Almighty God became child i I tell you you know what christmas does if any if christmas ought to do anything for you man it it ought it ought to bring you humility okay it ought to bring you humility i mean there are so many things in this life that we feel we shouldn't have to put up with true or false right huh there's a long list of things that we believe we deserve. True, true, huh? Come on. Yes, all right. We feel like we deserve a certain level of comfort in our life. We deserve a certain amount of things being easy. We deserve a trouble-free life. We deserve to be treated with honor. How, how do I know the things I'm telling you are true? Because when they don't happen, what happens? It's, it's evident, isn't it? It's evident in our behavior and our attitude, right? We, we believe we deserve to be treated with respect, with fairness. And man, Christmas undercuts all of that. I mean it just busts it all apart because here is the one almighty God everlasting father who gives up all of his rights (laughs) Who, who lays down what he deserves right lays down his privileges I mean, it's really hard to demand comfort when the almighty God of the universe stepped out of the throne room of heaven into a cold, damp, manure-saturated barn to be born a helpless infant to teenage peasants. It's really hard for me to believe and embrace that and then be mad at God because my life's a little uncomfortable or be a pouty guy because I'm not getting my way in something. I mean, it's hard to be, to be demanded to treat with honor when no one would even give Jesus' mother a room to give birth in. And then I'm going to demand a certain level of comfort. Wednesday night, I was with the fifth and sixth grade boys and, and said, All right, guys, we're going we're to do Christmas. We're going to find Christmas. you got, you got to show me Christmas in, in, in the Bible. And I'm going to pick passages that are going to be hard, right? I didn't pick, you know, uh, the birth narrative or the angels or the shepherds or the wise men. I didn't pick any of those. I, I, I turned to passages like Philippians 2. And I said, all right, guys, I want you to show me Christmas in Philippians 2. And so I read it to him. Let each of you look out not only for his own interest but also the interests of others. Have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus, who though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped. Okay, held on to, but he made himself nothing. Christmas right there. Taking the form of a servant incarnation. Christmas being born in the likeness of men. Christmas and being found in human form. He humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on the cross. That's Christmas. I mean, it does not get any more Christmas than that. Christmas is everlasting God. Okay, my almighty God, everlasting father, prince of peace, giving up his rights and being born as a child for you, for us. He's a wonderful counselor. He's almighty God. He's everlasting father, this gift to you. The child born would be the father of eternity. The one who is Psalm 92 says from everlasting to everlasting. (laughs) The child, again, this passage is full of these, all right? The child is born to you, but the child is, he's hes father forever. He's hes your father. He will adopt you into his family. He'll be your provider. He's prince of peace. And not only is he prince of peace, but we're going to look here in just a second. The increase of his peace will will never, never stop, okay? So this is the prince. This is the reigning ruler who will bring peace. Now, man, this is a sermon of its own, but think about how Jesus would bring peace, okay? He he would bring peace by his person. Romans 15, 13 says, may the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace in believing. As you embrace and believe in Jesus Christ, you, you get peace. What kind of peace? Well, first of all, peace between you and God, okay? Because without Jesus, you're at odds with God, okay? You're shaking your fist at him in rebellion. You're saying, come on. You know, I'll take you on. I'm against you. I'm against your rules. I'm against your authority. I've broken it all. I I don't love you. I don't honor you. Okay, but through Jesus Christ, we have righteousness. Romans chapter 5. Verse 1 tells us that we, we have peace with God. Colossians chapter 1, let me read this one. Colossians 1 20 says, And through him to reconcile to himself all things, whether on earth or heaven, making peace by the blood of his cross. Jesus Christ, his person, has brought us peace, peace between us and God. But not only peace with nothing God, but peace within. Okay, the absence of guilt and fear and anxiety. Philippians four six and seven. Be anxious for nothing, but in everything through prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your request be made known to God. And the peace that surpasses all understanding will guard your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. Okay, that this peace will be. Beyond our understanding, that will guard our hearts and minds in Christ Jesus, in the person of Jesus Christ, there is the possibility of no more anxiety, no more, you know, being bound up on the inside, but but having peace. And notice verse seven of the increase of his government, his reign, and of peace there will be no end. Man, I, I tell you, things like verses like that are super exciting to me. Yeah, Everything peaks out, doesn't it? You know, I mean, I mean, empires, they do this. Alexander the Great, he's on the top of his game, and then, you know, he dies of, what, like syphilis or something like that, and, and the whole empire falls apart, right? The Roman Empire, I mean, probably maybe the greatest empire ever, you know? It, it has a, a, a climbing point and kind of peaks out and, and rides on for a while and then slowly decli- de- declines to, to being busted apart. I mean, everything's like the United States of America, okay? Hey, I'm, I'm a... I'm a patriot, I I love my country, I've been all over the world, and I tell you, this is a great place to live, but there will come a day of God tarries when there will be no USA. How do I know that? Because everything on the earth peaks out, right? Every business, every company, every person, every trend. But not Jesus. Okay? Of His increase. Of His power, of His reign, of the peace that comes, there will be no end. Isn't that great? Better and better and better and better. Right? What what I got now? It it's great. it's awesome. But there's more coming. There's always more coming with Jesus. So that's who He is. Now, I, I don't think that we can accurately appreciate who He is unless we also look at the backdrop backdrop of the announcement all right so 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 uh, that, that makes sense new, news 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 is always good depending on the context right so so when the announcement comes over the tv snowstorm no school in woodward county today okay it just depends on the context how good a news that is right I mean, if you're the kid that hates algebra and you're terrible at algebra and you haven't studied for your algebra test and the algebra test is tomorrow and now there's no school, I mean, that may be the best news ever. If you're the kid that had earned the, the, the field trip to the space museum that you'd always wanted to go to and that's tomorrow, you know, it may not be... So so you've got to have the, the backdrop of... How does the news come? Okay, look at chapter 8. All right, we don't have time to look at all of chapter 8. Things are bad for Israel. Things are bad for God's people. Things are bad for people in general, I think, really is the thrust of this. But let's just finish it in chapter 8, verse 22. So, the verse right before where we started reading, and verse 22 says, And they will look to the earth, but behold, distress and darkness, the gloom of anguish, and they will be thrust into thick darkness. Okay, that, that's the context into which the Christ child comes into the world. And, and the Bible is going to pick up this theme in the New Testament and use it over and over again. First Peter chapter 2, verse 9, You're a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a whole nation of people, for his own possession that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you, he called you out of darkness and into his marvelous light. We're going to see that over and again in the scriptures that we are called out of darkness Okay, John chapter 3, people love the darkness. They don't want to step into the light because their deeds are exposed. They know they need a Savior, so they stay in the dark. I mean, this, this theme of darkness and light is used over and over again. And here's the point of what he's saying is we live in a dark world. We live in a world that doesn't know where it's going. A world that can't see the dangers ahead and they can't see the glories that they might pursue. We live in a world of people who are going the wrong direction. Now, I realize there's gonna be a lot of folks who are gonna push back on that, okay? And, and here's the argument that I've heard before. It's been given to me. All right, hey, hey, hold on. Some of the smartest people in the world aren't Christians, and I totally agree with that, okay? I agree with that. I mean, some of of the smartest business people, some of the greatest scientists and doctors and politicians and artists and technology developers, many of them do not trust or follow Jesus. I completely agree with that statement, but here's the deal. You know, you can be a brilliant engineer and a gifted artist and a talented athlete and a great scholar and a statesman and a Pulitzer Prize-winning author and get life completely wrong. Okay, and that's the darkness, You know, I I thought of this illustration. Imagine that there is a party, like the party, like the place the party of all time, of all century, okay? And and you can spend the half a year getting just the right outfit and, and you can go to one of those salons and get your $200 haircut. I don't know if that's an expensive haircut or not. I, mine are always the same, but maybe, oh, I shot high trying to get it, right? So, you know, get get the best, okay? And you can get the perfect date and you can rent a sports car to travel there and you can make you a, a playlist that's the absolute best and, and you can practice, you know, conversation starter and you can be all ready for this great event, and you get there and you figure out you're in the wrong place, man. You're in the you got it wrong, you know. You got the wrong place, you got the wrong town, you got the wrong state, you're not even in the right geographical area, and you missed the right the wrong time. I mean, I mean, you, you got it all wrong. You 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 spent the whole time at the top of your game preparing for the deal, but you missed it. And my friends, if you spend your whole life operating on the premise that there's no God, or at least if He is God, He's not that important, that Jesus is not resurrected from the dead and Lord of all, you, you can't be wise if you miss the meaning and purpose of your life. You can't be wise if you miss the only means of your salvation. You can't be wise if, if, if you get life wrong, if you're wrong about God. You're, you're living in the dark. I, I believe that that's what He's talking about. I believe He's talking about death. Okay, go down to, 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 to nine two. okay? It says, you've multiplied the nation, you've increased its joy. They rejoice with you as with, with joy in the harvest as when they are glad when they divide the spoil. That wasn't what I wanted to read you because I read three. Okay, the people who walk in darkness have seen a great light. Those who dwell in a land of deep darkness, on them a light has shined. Okay, that, that deep darkness, it's it's kind of the same phrase it's used up in 22 where it's describing the context. It says thick darkness. If you have the King James Version, it's described as the valley of death, I believe. And, and that's not a bad translation because if you go over to Matthew 4, Matthew, writing in Greek, takes this passage out of Isaiah and he says in verse 15, he's using it of Jesus' ministry. He says, the land of Zebulun, the land of Naphtali, the way of the sea beyond the Jordan of Galilee and the Gentiles, the people dwelling in darkness have seen a great light. Why? Because Jesus is there. He's in Galilee. And so so Matthew's pulling from 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 Isaiah and saying man here is the light they've seen a great light for those dwelling in the region and shadow of death okay so when he translates it he he translates it the shadow of death we live in a world of death i think that's i think that's the context to which the light of Jesus Christ shines is that we live in a world that is enslaved to death. Hebrews 2.15 says that Christ came to deliver all those who through fear of death were subject to lifelong slavery. I've hit that chapter two twice in the last two weeks in my morning Bible studies, and we've talked about it both times. And, and, And here's the interesting thing. I mean, the writer of Hebrews just lays it out. Man, everybody's a slave to death. Everybody's a slave to the fear of death. And as I think about that, I'm like, you know, I'm not sure everybody's afraid of death, but I think it's because, and I'm talking about people that don't believe in Christ. I think it's because, I think it's because people refuse to think about death. I was reading a sermon by Tim Keller, and he quotes this guy, uh, C A M U S, Camus. I, I don't, I've never heard of him. I may be slaughtering his name, but he wrote this essay, and it's really an interesting essay because here's the premise of it: if if you knew you're going to die in two hours. Okay, there's an execution. He's following you around like you never get out of his sight, and he's got the gun in his hand. He's like two hours, you know, clock's ticking, one fifty nine, one fifty eight. You know, you're gonna die, but you got two hours, and he's like, you can do whatever you want in your two hours, for real. I, I mean, I'll, I'll I'll follow you, be you can do whatever you want. You know, and I'm thinking, all right. So what, what 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 are your favorite things? What would I do two hours? You know, I'm thinking, well, my favorite things, I maybe maybe eat. With my family at my favorite restaurant, or man, I think I might shoot baskets with my with my kids in the in front yard. I, I love to do that. Maybe play if if I make this shot with Haven. She she loves that. Um, and maybe maybe a little mountain bike ride. I don't. Know, that's what I really just. But but here here was Cam's question. Would you enjoy those things? Now, now. If you're a believer, I think this is a game changer. Okay, but but talking to people that do not believe in the expected Savior, the one who would save. Okay, would you enjoy those things? Well, probably not. I I mean, you're impending death. It's two hours. It's 159. It's 156. It's 155. it's, It's coming. Okay, but now broaden your mind out a little bit. What's the difference in that illustration in your life? Time. That's it, right? You don't actually know the time. I mean, you actually may have less than two hours, <laughs> but we're running the odds. We probably have more, but how much more? I mean, just it's just time. That's that's the only difference. It's coming. It's coming, and into this world full of people trying not to think about the fact that everything they love and have lived for is going to end. A light shines into the darkness here is this one who comes to save john 8 12 here's this one who is the light of the world here's this one who now let's go back and pick up some verses chapter 9 verse 3 here's the one who's who's gonna who's gonna bring light to the gloom okay you've multiplied the nation you've increased its joy they rejoice before you two images here really cool As with the joy at harvest. Okay, now this one hits me good, okay? I grew up in a family that our entire income, all of it, rested upon one harvest a year. At that point, my dad just grew wheat when I was growing up. Now he grows a couple crops. Okay, but right now, at that point, he just grew wheat. So literally, our whole year, all of our hopes, everything my dad worked for, all of it was realized at the harvest, okay? Okay? And so the harvest represents when your hopes become a reality, right? And so what, what is this saying? Our hopes become a reality in Jesus Christ, all of them, our, our hope for righteousness, our hope for worth, for beauty. When, when, I, when I say beauty, like, like that's not a word I would use, but when I look around, people want to be lovely. Now, whatever your word you would use for that—beautiful, lovely, appealing—they they want that. They want to they want to be right. They want to be righteous. Nobody wants to be looked at as a criminal, a crook, a scoundrel. Okay, they want to they want to be pure. They they want to be accepted. All of that is in Jesus. It's the only way. All of our hopes, our hope for life, for new heavens, a new earth. Relation, all of that in Jesus. Look at the next image. Okay, so so the joy of harvest, and then as they are glad when they divide the spoil. Now I don't I don't know anything about this really, but I can imagine it. Okay, so imagine you're at war. Okay, you know when you divide the spoil, when you won, you won the battle. Like you won the you, You you're you're the victor, and now you're reaping the rewards of the victory. Jesus coming means God has conquered. The king is here. And we have the, the blessings of the victory. Let me ask you this. Does Jesus bring you joy? We're all kind of coming to that point, all right, in this message. D- does he bring you joy? Okay, I'll hold that thought. We'll come back in just a second. Look at verse 4. For the yoke of his burden, the staff of his, his shoulder, the rod of his oppressor, you have broken as on the day of Midian. Yeah, the day of Midian was the battle of, of Midian. the Midianites where Gideon um, defeats him after dismissing his army and God basically wraps the enemy all by God's glory, okay? But, but notice what he says. I love the picture of the rod of, of his oppressor. Okay, can, can you imagine someone oppressing you, all right? They've got a rod. Like they, they follow you around and beat you with the thing, okay? And then how cool would it be if someone comes up and breaks the rod? Right? You get the picture there? Like someone comes up, subdues the guy who's oppressing you, and snaps his rod in half. That's the picture there. That's a great picture. It's a picture of Jesus delivering us from the oppressors of sin and guilt and death in the grave. Okay, that's the ministry of Jesus. That's what you've been given. Okay? Like it or not, I don't know what you wanted for Christmas, but that's what you've been given. This is, unto us, this is what you've been given, the person of Jesus Christ. Now, one final question to kind of wrap this up. My dad hates giving gifts. Not not that he's not a Scrooge, he's not stingy, he's just, he and I are the same, we're really bad at it, and and we, we second guess, like, like, I, I can't ever get something for somebody that I'm like, would they really want this? You know, I mean, I'm just, I'm bad at malls. I'm bad at shopping. I'm bad at, I'm just bad at all that. I'm bad at buying. I, even when I buy something for myself, I I, I I, would much rather just have it given to, this is Kenny Castor's uh, coat, you know, I'd much rather just have it given, you know, it's, hey, it's what I got, you know. Um, I'm just bad, and my dad's that way. And so growing up, like, I could tell Christmas was always a little anxious for him and and he he would always say this he would say well, get ready for the big D disappointment you know <laughs> like like you, and my mom would be like rack you know but well, we got him was fine you know and, and like, he would always say that you're ready for the big you know, it's going to be the big day you know and he, i talked to him this morning you know and and he just he just went on we need a cargo carrier for our our honda because we can't fit everything, we, we downsized, and our family keeps growing, so that that doesn't work, you know. So anyway, we I bought a little cargo carrier, and he just he just chipped in on that, you know. And so <laughs> I'm talking on the phone, he's like, "Now you realize you're not getting anything to open." I'm <laughs> like, "God, Dad, I'm 43 years old. I I realize that. Thanks for the, you know. <laughs> I mean, he's just worried about uh, you know disappointment. Are you disappointed in Jesus? Now hold on. Are you like this? Is what you this? Is what you have in Christ, wonderful Counselor, mighty God, everlasting Father, Prince of Peace, of the increase of His peace and of His reign, there will be no end. One who brings light into the darkness, joys at harvest. Okay, but I, I guess I'm not asking. What's the right answer? I'm asking, how do you live? How do I live? How Do do we walk around? You know, I'm thinking, if if we're not disappointed in him, if he's everything that we could ever want, there's a fullness that comes there, isn't there? There's a contentment. There's a residual joy in all circumstances. There's an expectation, a hopefulness. I mean, that... That's going to impact everything, isn't it? Whereas if if I'm disappointed in him, maybe I would never say that, but then I'm always craving something else to fit in my life because he's not enough. My friends, how could he not be enough? This is what you have to expect of your king, and it's more than you could imagine. So let's... Let's respond as we ought to respond to what God has given us in Christ Jesus. Let's pray. Father, you're more than enough for us. Uh, You're everything we need. We need you. Um, You are our wonderful counselor. You are our mighty God. You are our everlasting father, our prince of peace. You bring us peace. You bring us wisdom and counsel and life and victory over death and sin and the grave. And Jesus, all of that is, is good. And so, Lord, fill us with praise. I pray that we would be the ones who, who who call out your name, that we would be the ones who fill our homes with with shouts and songs of praise to you. We are not disappointed. In Jesus' name, amen.